Así es amigos y bienvenidos una vez más a la Onda Latina del Gold Show aquí en tu estación favorita 103.1 Radio Lazar. Yo soy Eloy Pando, pero antes de empezar, vámonos con eso que dice así. Estás en la Onda Latina del Gold Show, Downtown The Dells. Esta siguiente melodía es solamente para la gente que están aburridos. Hey, friends, our guest today is a talented and ambitious young man. He worked in construction and the oil fields in Texas, was a professional wrestler for about five years in the 1980s, has been the face and voice of multiple radio productions, and owns and operates Pondo Production Studios. He is a hilarious guy and has lived an exciting life. Here is my friend, Eloy Pondo. All right. Well, first of all, uh, thanks for coming down. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to come see Blast from the Past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, quite the weekend to do it with uh, the temperature. God, yeah. Is it supposed to be pretty bad in the Dallas, too? Oh, yeah. Down there, it's uh, 110, and next week's supposed to get up to 117. And I have my own personal for uh, weather forecaster, Maggie. <laughs> She keeps a close eye on the weather. Yeah. Yeah. And she's always telling me, oh, dress cool or dress warm or bring your liquids and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to make sure you got AC wherever you're going. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I lived in Phoenix for a while, and uh, it was just from it was from March to uh, October of mm -hmm. one year. So mm -hmm. one summer, you know. Mm -hmm. And every day on the news, there'd be a kid that drowned in a pool mm -hmm. or some old lady who died in her house because she didn't have AC. Yeah. It's like that yeah. that narrow range of temperature yeah. will kill people. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Especially old people. Mm-hmm. You know? And I remember when I was, uh, when I first moved up here, the first five years I would go back to Texas and visit in, you know, summertime. But when I was coming up here, the first time I stopped riding downtown Phoenix, it was around, I think, one o'clock in the afternoon, and it was hot. Yeah. And I looked around there, it's like, nobody's out there. I said, what's up? So I went to a gas station and I was fueling up and I asked the guy, did somebody steal all the people? I mean, there's nobody out there. Just a few here and there. He said, oh no, they don't come out till night. In the daytime, we stay indoor. Yeah. <laughs> well, and after, after I hang around for a while, oh yeah, I can see why. Yeah, you know. it, it makes you wonder why anybody even stopped to you know, they're riding their horse through. Why, yeah. Like, why would you even stop there to right. to set up camp? Well, that's news to me. You know it's what I mean? brutal. Exactly. You know what the cool thing is, though, that, I mean, I only lived there, like I said, for like eight or nine months, and I've been here for 20 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing I miss about when I lived there mm -hmm. is it was sunny all the time. You know, it was, it was brutally hot. Yeah. But here, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we'll get five, six months of rain. Yeah. And that can wear on you too. Right. Uh, but right. yeah, in, in Phoenix, mm -hmm. every day you wake up, you're putting on shorts and a t-shirt. Oh yeah. You know for sure. Well, the one thing uh, that I like about the heat here, you know, people say, what? You like the heat? No, no, no. The thing I like about it is that your humidity is very low. Yeah. Down south, 
My God, you know, humidity, I mean, it's, you're always sweating. Mm-hmm. You never, you take a shower and you never dry off. Yeah. And I used to tease with these guys or joke with the guys. Well, you know, down south, we always have chickens. Everybody has chickens. What? Yeah, in the backyard, we have chickens. What? You can't afford to buy and eat? No, no, no. They tell us if it's a good day or a bad day for outside in the summertime. So what? If you look outside and those chickens are in the shade with the wings wide open and panting like a dog, mm-hmm. oh, we stay in the house. Ah. Yeah. But if they're out pecking and eating, oh, okay, it's tolerable. We huh. go outside. Okay. And say, yeah, this, but people think it's, it, you know, I'm joking, but a lot of people did do that. <laughs> you know, I know we had chicken, but of course we would eat ours too. <laughs> well, where did you grow up then? San Antonio, Texas. Oh, yeah. It's I was born in, in West Texas in a small town called Sanderson, uh, which is closer to El Paso. But at age, I think it was four, uh, we moved to San Antonio. My dad, you know, had work out there. So that's where I grew up, but partly in San Antonio and partly in Oregon because I moved up here at age 20. I was 28 when I moved up here, okay. 1988. So I tell people I grew up, started growing up in San Antonio, but I finished growing up in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I <laughs> happened with me in Oregon is I discovered my uh, I shouldn't say my roots, but uh, how to speak Spanish. And you go, what? Yeah. I mean, in Texas, we're Tejanos. We, you know, they don't call us Mexicanos, even when it was part of Mexico, because it's such a huge state that the Mexican states were like, you know, a little jealous because, you know, we're the big state and we're a little intimidating. And we kind of had our own culture going on, you know. So the Tex-Mex language is a lot different than your deep southern Mexican language. And it got worse as years went by when they became part of the United States and we started doing the Spanglish thing, which we have words that really are not words. We just kind of invented them. Like, for example, um, when you go park your car, mm-hmm. well, we would say in Spanish, parquear, and that's not really a word. Yeah. We would just take park and Mexicanize it. The correct way is estacionar. So the gringos wouldn't understand it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my grandfather, oh, God, my grandfather, he was from Spain. Uh-huh. He hated Tejanos as far as our language. He would say, you Tejanos destroyed both languages, English and Spanish. <laughs> you don't speak correct Spanish and you don't speak correct English because he was a linguist. Uh, he spoke like 28 languages. What? Yeah, he was from Spain. That's crazy. Yeah, he, he used to, um, wherever he was moved to, he would teach that language to the, he worked mostly with native uh, people, you know, okay. Indians, indigenous people from all, all over the place. And so he would sit us all down and give us a class in Spanish, you know, to straighten us out. And at the end of the class, he would say, ahora si, comprenden, you know, now you understand. And just to piss him off, we would say, está bueno, grandpa. <laughs> it's not a language. You are insulting both languages. Está bueno, abuelo, or okay, grandpa, don't mix them. Hmm. Okay, okay. No but that's what slang is, right? That's what, what? That's what slang is. When you take any portion of any language yeah. and kind of manipulate it a yeah. little bit, right? Right. Which then kind of becomes its own language. Pretty much. Yeah. And that's why they, they call us the Spanglish generation, you know. And uh, in fact, so, what, go ahead. I was just going to say, so he was from Spain and he came to the States? No. He, he, my grandfather was actually a Catholic priest. Okay. And people say, what? And he was married. Oh, let me finish the story. <laughs> uh, 
So the Catholic Church would send him to different countries to set up, you know, a church. Okay. And so they sent him to Mexico, and he was uh, teaching the Aztec Indians Spanish. So he was trying to, you know, what do you call it, uh, <laughs> bring them into the, the other world. Okay. Yeah, convert them. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that's a horrible story of how they converted people back then, but uh, I'll let you do that with somebody else. Okay. Anyway, so he met my grandmother, and uh, he fell in love with her, and he went before the, the big guys and the priests, wherever, whoever they are, and, and he said, you know, well, I'm leaving the church. I'm, I, I want to, to get married, you know. And so it, it was a long process what what he went through, and he told me about it. And the Catholic Church doesn't really like it when their priests do that. But he did. He left the church. He married my grandmother, and they moved from Zacatecas, Mexico, where he was, up to the north, up to uh, Chihuahua, the state of Chihuahua. And he settled in a town called Ojinaga. Which is in Mexico. In Mexico, okay. yes. But— he would come into the States and work. Well, back then, they were doing the coal mines. So he would work the coal mines in the United States. So he kind of go back and forth. He'd go for the coal mines for the season, and when they're done, they go back. Well, my grandmother was pregnant with my father, mm-hmm. Pedro Pando, Peter, Pete Pando. And in one of those travels, he was actually born in Texas, so he was an American citizen. Ah, there you go. Yeah. And whether they did that on purpose, I don't know. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure they did because they wanted to bring the whole family to Yeah. That's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. So he was born in, in a place called, uh, what was it? God, I, I'm drawing a blanket. Town doesn't even exist anymore. Anyway, he was born in the United States in Texas. Uh-huh. He went back to Mexico and he grew up in Mexico, never knowing that he was an American citizen. Hmm. My grandma and grandpa would not tell him because they knew that he found out, oh. I'm out of here. So they were just kind of keeping it hidden and off to the side so that they could go back when they wanted to? Uh, that I really not – I'm sure it has something to do with that because, you know, he being an American citizen, it was easier for, for the visas or whatever mm-hmm. for them to get. Mm-hmm. But I don't know the whole story behind that as to why they kept it hid because they actually – they wanted to stay in Mexico. They wanted to live there. You know? mm-hmm. But he, my grandpa would make good money in the States. Mm-hmm. Then they go back and make enough money to – Kicked back for a while. Was he still doing stuff with the church when he was? Oh yeah, in he continued. He continued in in, uh, in the Christian religion. I don't. I can't remember what religion he was. One of those offshoots. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Charismatic Christian type religions. Okay, but so he just went to the states to work in the coal mine because he, the could, coal mines make he could money. make good money. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But he didn't really want to stay, be a a a, a, a priest or anything. He would just preach the gospel on his own, mm-hmm. you know, and he didn't want to be affiliated with any churches, but he continued, you know, preaching the word of God. Mm-hmm. So with that said, when my father became of age to join the military, because you have to do the same thing over there, you turn 18, you got to go join the military. Huh. Same thing as here. So he went to sign up and the guy was reading his paperwork and he says, well, he says, the only way you can join the Mexican military, you have to renounce your American citizenship. He goes, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. He said, you're American. Shafter is what the name is. You were born in Shafter, Texas. He goes, no, I wasn't. I was born in Ojinaga. Mm-hmm. No, you were born in Shafter, Texas. You're an American. 
Give me that paperwork. He went home, packed his bags, told him, Paya, I'm out of here. Was he pissed? Oh, he was pissed. Yeah. He was pissed. But, you know, he, in the Mexican culture, you don't talk back to your parents. Uh, yeah. But he was just on his own, like, well, mom, dad, I found out I was an American citizen. Thanks for keeping it a secret from me. <laughs> no, but anyway. Yeah. I'm, I'm moving to the States. Mm-hmm. So he moved to the United States. He settled in uh, Sanderson, Texas, where I was born. Okay. Uh, but then he would travel to Arizona to work the cotton fields. He was a truck driver. Okay. And that's where he met my mother. They had cotton fields in Arizona? Yeah. Huh. I don't know where, but they had cotton fields somewhere up there. Huh. Uh, he was working the cotton fields and then some other crops to whatever they grow up there. Well, my father was a truck driver. But he was also a musician. He and a group of truck drivers that they were all traveling together, they had a little band, a little conjunto, mm-hmm. which is a conjunto band. is a, a 12-string guitar, uh, an accordion, a, uh, a drum, and sometimes a bass guitar. Kind of like salsa? No, it's no. a polka. Okay. Which is uh, Norteño music. Okay. Uh, our, our, our version of country. Okay. Okay. And they would put on shows to all the picker camps. You know, they would uh, every weekend they would go out there and put on a you know a dance for them. Uh-huh. And that's where he met my mom. So he met my mom, fell in love, and he followed her all the way back to Sanderson, Texas. And he proposed to her, and the rest. Then came you. Yeah. <laughs> well, so when you're growing up in Sanderson, or you grew up in San Antonio. San Antonio. San Antonio. What what was it like back then in terms of racism, you know, and, and dealing – were there different neighborhoods and different groups yeah. that yeah. that you uh, had to deal with? Well, not as bad as here. It, it's there. Yeah. Uh, but what happened with uh, Tex – with the uh, Tejanos and the, the white people is um, – and I tell Maggie this all the time when, you know, we're seeing all these Black Lives Matters and, you know – they're depressed, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you know, if you go look at, uh, read the Texas history, there were more Mexicans murdered than black people. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the Mexicans were educated. It was their their country, their homeland. Yeah. You know? And the white people couldn't conquer them because they were educated people. Yeah. You know? The blacks were already... They were slaves. They were brought in as slaves. So they were easy to, to manage and to you know, keep them suppressed. Mm-hmm. But the Mexicans said, no, nah, uh, 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 you're in my house. Yeah. <laughs> you're in my house. So what happened is uh, white people finally just, I guess you could say, gave up. Mm-hmm. So they started marrying into the Mexican culture. Mm-hmm. And that's good and bad because a friend of mine was telling me a story about how that was a way that they were trying to conquer the Mexicans by marrying into them and knowing their ways and learning their ways. But maybe the guy that was marrying the gal, he really had no intentions of marrying her. He just married her to get into the clan and then get deeper in, get deeper in. And I said, wow, I never heard that story before, but it kind of makes sense. <laughs> he said, not all of them. Most, most white people were very, they were very human. Yeah. You know. Uh, but there were the the few who wanted to to conquer and you know dominate and know oh, it's going to be just be a white country and you, oh everybody's going to be a slave mm-hmm. you know 
But the thing that I appreciate uh, as far as um, talking about racism, mm -hmm. the difference between the South and up here, when I moved up here, I told, I was talking to Maggie one day, we were talking about racism, and I said, you know, I have experienced the worst racism I have ever experienced up here. Yeah. And he goes, what do you mean? He says, uh, they just patronize you. Mm -hmm. They profess to be your friend, but I mean, you turn around and ah, stupid Mexican or whatever, you know, they're mm -hmm. stabbing you in the back. He says, now down south, we're, we're up front, we're clear. You know, we don't like you, we call you what you are. Mm -hmm. We just tell you your face. Mm -hmm. But we still do business, Yeah, you know? But we know who is where, but we still do business because, mm -hmm. you know, we all want to make money, have to make money. There's a few pockets who still don't, don't want to associate themselves with any other than their color. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, you know, it's, it is what it is. And, yeah, it, and San Antonio, like you, you were just talking about how it was divided. San Antonio was a divided town. Mm -hmm. In the north side, you had mostly the white people. In the east side, you had mostly the black people. In the west side, you had mostly the Mexicans. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the south, southwest was kind of a, a little bit of a mixed mosh. But, uh, but yeah, we were all pretty much divided. Yeah, because, I mean, it usually gets divided based on income, right? Yeah. You kind of get separated into groups based on, yeah. on wealth. Yeah. But, yeah, so it seems like in that part of the country or that part of the world, it seems like they could be more tolerant in some ways just mm -hmm. because it's so close. Mm -hmm. And like you said – People were just straight up, and they would just say what they wanted to say. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't experienced much of that uh, just because I've kind of been in this area for mm -hmm. so long. Mm -hmm. And it seems like people in the Northwest are kind of – if they're not more tolerant, they attempt to be more tolerant. But mm -hmm. there's not much diversity up here. It's mainly white people, mm -hmm. you know, and growing up in the Dalles, mm -hmm. that's where I experienced the most racism <laughs> yeah. uh, when the uh, migrant workers come yeah. in for the summer to pick cherries. Yeah. I can't imagine being one of those those people because uh, they just get so much shit from everybody, mm -hmm. and they're just coming in trying to make a living, take care of their families, right. and yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, well, me when I <laughs> when I moved to the Dells, um, I got a job at uh, Public Works, City mm -hmm. of the Dells, but I sent my application through the mail, and uh, Julie, my ex wife, she was working for nine one one. So through her cousin, we were able to get a job in the city. So I show up at Public Works, and the supervisor introduces me to the group. And But he just said, this is Eloy Pondo. He's going to be working with us, blah, blah, blah. And at the time, I was working as a full-time temporary. I was basically uh, working for a guy who was out on a heart attack. So I didn't know if I was going to get the job 100% or not. He had a heart attack and you took his job? <laughs> I didn't know until like, I started working there. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't my fault. Yeah. <laughs> I found out later that, that Toby, Gene uh, uh, Toby was his name. He's, he's passed away now. But So anyway, that's, that's, that's how he introduced me. Yeah. And after about three months later, there was this guy I used to work with. Uh, I don't know if you recognize the name, Mark Cosno. The Cosno family. Cosno? Cosno. Uh-uh. Well, Mark Cosno was just a big... Burly, redneck, mm -hmm. you know, even he didn't have a very good vocabulary. And so finally one day he looks at me, hey, hey, Mexican. I looked at him, what? White guy. He goes, 
what? Because that wouldn't take shit from them, you know? Yeah. He goes, what the hell did you do that so bad that you're still here? I said, what the hell are you talking about? Well, back then, and they still do, I think they still do now, they used to let um, prisoners come mm -hmm. in and work off their, their time and work off uh, community service. Okay. You know, and uh, which uh, wasn't prison. People that were, you know, they got arrested and they had to pay off their fines, so they would let it work, or they would let them work it off okay. at public works. He goes, What the hell did you do that's so bad that you're still here? What are you talking about? Aren't you a convict? I said, what the hell that have to do with my job? I said, well, we, I think he, I thought we just working off your 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 finest. No, you dumbass. I, I'm an employee here. <laughs> work here. Yeah. What? We hired a Mexican. I said, well, they hired your dumbass. <laughs> Why not a Mexican? <laughs> yeah. And the guys were just listening, and they were just laughing, rolling around, laughing because you know Cardinal was just one of those guys who you had to take him with a grain of salt. You yeah. Know? And. Uh, they were just laughing. Said, no, man, I work here. Well, I finally wound up getting the job. They told me that I, you know, you got the job. Yeah. And so I worked there for 16 years. 16 years. Did you keep working with him too? He, yeah, well, yeah, he yeah. was street department. He, yeah. was, he was in the street department. Gotcha. But he finally quit and actually I think he got fired. I can't remember. Uh, so, but when I came up here and, you know, I had the job with, with Public Works, Going back to I said that it was a full-time temporary. Well, I went out looking for work just in case I didn't get the job. Well, I was in Hood River walking around, and, and I seen Full Sail Brewing Company. I look in there. They were where uh, Tofuki is now. Hey, <laughs> keep us in business. <laughs> <laughs> I am. <laughs> so they were next door where Tofuki is now, mm -hmm. where Turtle Island. And I looked down there, and I went down into the basement, walked in. Hey, are you guys hiring? Well, I didn't know that they had just opened up a year before because they opened up in 87. Okay. And this was 88. So the guy looks at me and goes, well, we're not hiring right now, but, you know, we'll be hiring probably later on. Uh, fill out an application. So I filled one out, gave it to them, and went home, forgot about it. Well, about two weeks later, I find out, you know, hey, you have the job with Public Works. Don't worry about looking for work. You're, mm -hmm. you're part of the guys. Yeah. And a month after, two months after I filled out the application at uh, Full Sail, they called me. Hey, you still looking for work? So now I might already have a job. Yeah. But thanks, for, thanks for the offer. You know. So here, 20 some years later, I'm working at Full Sail. They still have your application on file? Uh, <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. Well, what happened was, uh, uh, a few years ago, I I got tired of all the politics and stuff at, at uh, Public Works, and I was uh, union vice president. Maggie was union president, mm -hmm. and I was always fighting with them. I caught the city manager in a lie, and long story short, I just, just uh, I got to quit because it's it's a good job. I mean, I left a very very good paying job. Yeah, I mean, God, I think I was making like with with the benefit package and everything, and I, mean, I was the lowest paid. Our department, uh -huh. I think it was like 50, 52 bucks an hour, something like that. Wow. And uh, my salary monthly, if I remember right, is close to 3000 a month. Nice. Which is good money back then. Yeah, you know? yeah. And all my benefits, uh -huh. insurance all paid, my retirement all paid. So I walked away from a damn good job because I was to the point where it's bad when you go to work pissed off and come home twice as pissed off. Yeah, you I know, mean, it's not good for your health. No, you spend so much time at your job. I mean, you spend more time 
with the people you work with mm-hmm. than you do anyone else in your life. Right. More than your wife, your kids, or whatever. Oh, yeah. You can't yeah. be going somewhere 40 plus hours a week that right. you hate. Right. Just exactly. doing your life. And when I was there working at Public Works, when they found out I was, you know, fluent in Spanish and English, they started using me to interpret for the courts, the police department. Uh, the state started using me. The county started using me. I was getting 25 bucks an hour. Uh, guaranteed, even if I was there five minutes, I had a guaranteed two hours pay. So I'd make 50 bucks for five minutes worth of work. Mm-hmm. And But that got kind of also, uh, I guess you could say kind of spooky, Harry. Yeah. I mean, what happened? Did you Were you involved in like some pretty messed up court cases? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. And, and some bus of some, you know. Drug bus? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah? What happened was uh, one time, uh, as far as... Uh, they were getting ready to raid this, this picker camp, or this picker camp, and so they called us in. I'm there. We're having the, the, the talk about what we're, we're going to do, blah blah blah. And so I'm just sitting there listening, and then they say, "Anybody got any questions?" You know, I think that says, "Yeah, why are you guys raiding uh, uh, the picker camp?" Well, there's a guy in there selling drugs, blah blah blah. I said, "Yeah, but he's only selling amongst the pickers, and mm-hmm. they'll be gone in a couple of months." Mm-hmm. You know, I said, "The ones you should be focused on." And I start spitting out names of. Known associates, yeah, we yeah in town. We won't go there, but yeah. And they all looked at me like, mm, "No, there's no proof of that." So, but, but they said, "Well, I tell you what, you know, you can count me out of this one. I don't want nothing to do with it." So I left. Did they give you that option, or did you just you didn't care? Uh, well, no, I I could do it because I was there, not contracted, but they would just call me, and if I wanted to do it, I'd show up. Gotcha. But if I didn't, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm out of here. They end up busting him. I don't know what yeah. happened after that. I just, I just, I just washed my hands, walked away. Yeah. And um, another one was, uh, what was it? Oh yeah, that was a funny one. We go, we go to to this domestic uh, violent thing going on, and so we show up, and the guy is drunk as hell, and he starts, rah, he's just shooting his mouth off to his wife because his wife is trying to talk to me to interpret for the cops. And he's telling her to shut up, blah, blah, you know, cussing her out and shit. And I'm just listening. I'm just, oh, shut up, guy, shut up, guy. Finally, I got tired of that shit. And I turned around and just told him in Spanish, you shut the fuck up, get your ass over there, or I'm going to go out there and beat the shit out of you. <laughs> and then call the INS on you. Yeah. Boy, the guy just, and the cops, because I was speaking Spanish. <laughs> they didn't know what you said. And the cops were like, I don't know what you told him, but man, he sure did fucking <laughs> come down. <laughs> this Eloy's tough, man. <laughs> and I said, I'll tell you later, guys. Yeah. And so uh, that went on. Another one was, uh, I don't know if you remember a female officer, Maria, that used to work for the police department. I don't think uh, so. He was white. But anyway, uh, it was just in the middle of the night. I'm sitting there watching, you know, pro wrestling. I, you know, we're watching Portland wrestling. And I get this phone call. And it's a comm center or 911. It says, Eloy, uh, we need you really bad right now. Are you available? So what do you have? Well, we're not too sure if it was a shooting or the guy just committed suicide or what. But uh, we need you there because we need to find out what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no problem. And back then, I used to collect baseball caps. So this is like, you know, 11 o'clock at night, 11.30, something like that, you know, because I'm there, I'm still focused on Portland wrestling. You know? And so I just grabbed one of my hats, threw it on, took off. 
So I get to the scene and I to the front part, and there's like four Mexican guys standing there over by the side of the house, and they look at me. They just whoop, zeroed in on me, and so I walk up. I hey, where's the the, the, the cops for the scene? You know, something happened here, and they're all like, oh yeah, oh yeah. But their eyes were about that big, and they're just looking right at me, and I'm like, what the hell, man? So I walk past them, and I hear this. <laughs> I turn around, man, they're gone. They just disappeared. What the hell happened? So I go around the corner to the back in the alley, and they have lights on, and there's like little Mexico right there. There was a lot of Mexicans. And all the cops were over there. My real was on the side was was this cell. They're just crying, sobbing. And so I come walk around the corner, and next thing I know, every single eye is like, they're right on me. I'm like, what the hell's going on, you know? <laughs> but every single eye is on me. So I walk around the corner, and Maria says, oh, we're over here. So I go over there, and then I just hear, so I look around, and I mean, that crowd just thinned out like that. I said, what the hell happened here? And Maria says, I think your hat is making them nervous. So I took my hat off. Oh, shit. A Border Patrol hat that a friend of mine gave me. <laughs> U.S. Border Patrol hat. I mean, that cleared that. They're goddamn. like, you traitor? I said, oh, my God. I took that hat. I put it in my back pocket. Oh, shit. Yeah. No, they're all going to think I'm, I'm, I'm an INS. You know, she said, I think your hat's making them nervous. Well, at that point, you think a majority of them could have been deported? Like they were over here illegally? You know, that's the thing about that is that most of them are legal. Mm-hmm. But the fear of INS is so instilled in them that a lot of them, and I've asked some people, you know, well, why are you afraid? You're legal. Yeah, but, you know, they might bust my cousin or my uncle through Mm -hmm. me, you know, so they're they're under that impression that INS might get to their family through them, which kind of makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know. If that happens, I don't know if it does. Yeah. But that's the story that they tell me. You know, that's why we just don't want to mess with them, don't want to be around them, don't want to do nothing with them, even though, yeah, I got my green card and I'm legal and whatnot. Well, the thing that was always confusing to me is like, why are you putting that pressure on the person and not the person who's hiring them? Like, shouldn't some of the responsibility be there? Like, Well, you know, boy, we can go on forever on that one. There are laws, supposedly— and I, I remember they were passing laws where they were supposed to put pressure on the employers to show proof that they are legal. Yeah. But because they need them so bad, they just, yeah, we don't talk about it. Yeah, exactly. We don't talk about it, you know. Yeah. And so, in a way, I, I, I can't blame them because I was watching a, a show one time on TV. Uh, this gal, they were interviewing a uh, Mexican gal. And... Uh, about, you know, working and how their ethics and working. She's, you know, well, my family, we need, we need to make money. You know, a lot of our money here in the States, we send it back to Mexico. Mm-hmm. So then they were interviewing an employer, a gal. can't remember the name of the company. But they, they asked her point blank, well, why do you hire Mexicans and not white people? She said, okay, let me put it to you this way. I'm interviewing a white gal or a white guy, whatever, and tell them what the job is, this and that, this and this and this. And so I asked them, you have any questions for me? Oh, yeah. So, well, how much vacation time do I get? How much sick leave do I get? Mm. How much pay do I get? Huh? And this and that. How much, basically, how much time off I get? Yeah. 
So now I'm, now I'm interviewing this Mexican person, and at the end, I say, you have any questions? Yeah, how many hours can I work? How many hours can I get? Yeah. Says, Who do you think I'm going to hire? Yeah. The one that wants to work or the one that just wants to sponge off of me? Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that was an interesting show. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense if you can only make a dollar an hour or whatever, living in Mexico, and you can come up here and make 15 or 20 an hour. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, that I don't know. I don't know what person would not do that. Right, right. It seems idiotic to not. I mean, that's that's the American dream, right? Is mm-hmm. that you work hard, mm-hmm. you make money, mm-hmm. and then you're successful. Right. And they want to to chastise these people who are trying to do that for their families. Right. I was reading this thing the other day that said um, uh, a quarter, twenty five percent of El, of citizens from El Salvador make money in the United States mm-hmm. and send it back to El Salvador. Mm-hmm. A quarter. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as uh, people, a friend of mine, he's German, born, raised in Germany, but now he lives in the United States and he worked with me for a while over at Full Sail. Uh, we were talking about that one day about, you know, uh, illegals and whatnot. And he goes, what? Why don't they just get their their visas? I mean, I did. I was born in Germany, but you know, I went through all the the process and I got my visa, and I, I'm, I'm now I'm even citizen. I said, well, it's not that easy, buddy. No, it says the difference. It's it's much cheaper to pay a coyote. That's what they call the guys that smuggle them into the United States, mm-hmm. coyote. It's cheaper to pay a coyote ten thousand dollars than the system. He says, what do you mean? The system is so corrupt over there. That I know a guy who told me is a story about, you know, he was trying to come in legally, but he had to pay every Tom, Dick, and Harry that was interviewing him in Mexico to get that visa. He said, I spent 20000 American dollars that mm-hmm. my family was sending to me, and they, still, and they still turned me down. Well, and it takes, what, a year or two or three? Like, it's a long process, isn't it? Uh, that, I don't know. I do know that the ones who get to hire an attorney here to get legalized, uh, the, last, the last part of the process is, unfortunately, they have to go back to Mexico to face charges for leaving the country illegally. Hmm. Now, their own government is punishing them. Mexico is punishing Mexico. them. Yeah. So they get extradited to Mexico. F- to Mexico, yeah. Yeah. And they have to go before their magistrate and then they put fines on them and then they give them so much jail time. Some, they're lucky, get a few weeks, a few months. Some mm-hmm. get years. Some never come back because he didn't pay the magistrate <laughs> yeah. money, you know? Yeah. But for the most part, they do uh, get sent back and. And, you know, they get their, their visa and everything's all straightened out. And I have had so many uh, Mexican friends of mine had me write letters of recommendation for them. That's part of the process. The lawyer says, oh, get as many people, American people, to write letters of recommendation for you. Man, I just finally made one kind of general, and I would just tweak it a little bit to change <laughs> for the, the person because I was writing so many, you know. Yeah. So I just made one that's pretty generic. Yeah. But very impressive. Yeah. And I'll just change the name and change a few things about the person. Yeah. But uh, I, in fact, uh, when I moved to to the Dallas, I used to tell both my wife, <laughs> but Maggie, I still don't tell him I'm, I'm from Texas. Don't tell him I'm from Texas. Tell him, yes, he's Mexican. She says, why? Because us Tejanos are the bastards, black sheep 
of the family of Mexico. Why? Because back in the day when uh, the Mexican War and all that stuff was going on, and they were trying to, to to colonize Texas, make it part of the United States, and the Alamo broke out and all that stuff. Well, what happened is, is Santana, the president of Mexico at the time, he was pretty much on his way out, so he just cut a deal with the United States and sold Texas for a couple hundred American dollars and like a thousand head of cattle, basically real cheap, but back then it was lots of money. Yeah. He sold Texas. Mm-hmm. So what were we supposed to do? Go home. We are home. Yeah. This was once Texas, not Texas. Yeah. T-E-J-A-S. So we stayed there. So a lot of the Mexicans, the old school Mexicans, they consider us traitors that we didn't fight hard enough to stay part of the union. Mm. But we say, but we had no choice. We were sold. Yeah. We were sold by your own country. Yeah. Oh, bullshit. That that, that didn't happen. (laughs) This is still an argument happening? (laughs) Oh, they still, a lot of them still all hold that against us. And another reason they don't like us, we speak English. We don't speak Spanish. Well, we live in the United States. We're Americans now. And it's okay. If you spoke English and Spanish, guess what? Your world opens up even bigger. Oh, yeah. Twice the opportunities, twice the many friends, you know. And so Maggie, you know, I told her, don't tell them that I'm Tejano. So, <laughs> so she come home one day from the library. She goes, oh, my God, you're right. So what happened? Well, this friend of mine, that used to, she used to live out the Pines. This Mexican friend of mine that uh, worked for Lonnie, he uh, found out I was dating a Mexican. So he comes into the library and he says, oh, Maggie, I hear you're dating a Mexican. And she said, oh, no, he's Tejano. Oh, he speaks English. And he walked away. (laughs) And I said, you're right. They don't like you. Well, for the most part, a lot of them, you know, don't. Yeah. But there's some that do. So it took me a hard time to gain their trust in living there. And that's why I quit doing the the interpreting thing because I thought, oh my God, you know, I'm going in there and you know to help bust people. So now they say, no, now he's not. He's, he's not only a Tejano, he's a narc, you know. Mm, <laughs> so yeah. this guy started really, really, you know, shunning me. And so I quit. And but I was also looking at the, the injustice in you know in the in the city. So I was it's just I guess it's born me through my grandfather. I was always fighting for for their rights, you know. And so finally, one day I decided, you know what? This uh, friend of mine, well, this guy I know, he comes in and he says, hey, uh, can you help us start a, a Spanish station, a Spanish radio show or something? I said, yeah, I know. Uh, i got friends at Q104 and KCI. Uh, I said, you know, that's not a bad idea. I thought, wow, that's not a bad idea. There was already a Spanish show over in Hood River, uh, La Diferencia, it was started by uh, Ismael, but he wasn't doing too good. And so I said, let's do it. I like that idea because now they're going to have a voice on the radio, mm-hmm. you know, and I can talk about things, you know, not too much politics because the owner of the station was very conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, what's, what's even the process for that? How how to start a radio show? I've never even considered that because you gotta you gotta get the frequency, you've gotta get antenna no. to broadcast. Like, oh well, yeah, starting a station it's it's like you know it takes an act of God. Yeah. Number one, you have to have an open signal in the area, and the FCC controls that, uh-huh. and they don't tell you 
when they're coming up, they just show up. We have a signal opened up in the Portland area, and then you start bidding for it. Oh, wow. You have to fill out a book about that bid. There's a, there's a ton of empty frequencies. But mm-hmm. what, what does it go between, like 87 and 106 or something like that? I, yeah. Now they, have, a, now they have FM1, FM2, FM3. Okay. But, yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, it seems like there would be – a lot of options because in the Dallas, there's really only two or three stations. No, 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 no. We got like eight, eight, nine of them. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we so, have we have we had Q104, which was the strongest, most powerful signal, hundred thousand watts, and they don't they don't uh, license those anymore because they're so powerful. Okay. But Q104, hundred thousand watts, and that's where I started my radio show. So the, the higher wattage means it can broadcast further. further the farther away you go, you yes, can pick it up further, stronger. Let me tell you how far. When I started the show there, I was on two days a week because we were competing with La Diferencia, but I wanted to make my show really upbeat, more to the second generation. So I named it, excuse me, La Nueva Onda Latina, The New Latin Way. Mm-hmm. And so I was playing lots of uh, uh, more music get towards that second generation, um, like cumbia, a lot of upbeat cumbia, some salsa, some... Uh, uh, but the Norteño I played was more progressive, younger mm-hmm. bands, you know. Okay. And I was talk about topics that interest them. So my show just went through the roof. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was getting, before the show started, the phone calls were coming in. Nice. And Squirrel had his blues review at the same time I did. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Well, that was later on on KCI, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. What, what year was this? This was 1999. 99, okay. Yeah. And so one day, one night, I'm on the radio and we're talking, hey, yeah, you know, you got a shout out, give us a call, you know, and uh, happy birthday, whatever, you know, give us a call. And I get this phone call and I had people working for me outside taking the calls and then they would give them to me. And uh, at the time, they would just get the message and I would read it. But say, hey, this guy wants to talk to you. Okay, put him on. So I put him on. Hey, how's it going? Man, you have a really awesome show. Of course, we speak Spanish, you know. Yeah. You have a really awesome show, man. I I, I tune into you guys every, every well, we were on, I think, Fridays, Fridays and Wednesdays. I can't remember. Anyway, they're like, oh, cool, man. Where are you calling from? In Vancouver. Oh, wow. You can hear us all the way up, up there. Yeah, man. That's cool. So, do you live in Vancouver or Portland? He says, no, I'm calling from Vancouver, BC. Well, what? I just, are you sure? Yeah, I'm calling from Vancouver, BC. Well, I was shocked. I said, you can hear us up there? Oh, yeah. And they have Mexicans up there. <laughs> <laughs> A couple. That's what shocked me. I said, they have Mexicans in Canada? And the guy goes, well, they have they have uh, farm fuels up here too. Oh, well, yeah, but there was Mexicans living hmm. and to the day. That's wild because it seems like there'd be other stations in between that were taking advantage of 104.5, but apparently not. Meaning, like taking advantage, like uh, using that frequency to broadcast. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, the frequencies are, are pretty. Um, they're pretty tight, you know. As far as the signal was there in the Dallas, licensed in the Dallas, and the antenna was up on what, what's it called stacker or whatever. Cirrhosis? Uh, uh, no, no, up there in the, the in the Dallas mountains across the river. Okay, that's where most of the signals are. I think they call it stacker. Okay, way up in the Dallas mountains, and so the signal belongs to them. They have control over it. Because the radio itself is right there mm-hmm. it, in the Dallas. Okay. So you, you can't tap into it. Okay. You know? And so another call I got was from uh, Bend, Oregon. Mm-hmm. So we were heard. Yeah, that's a powerful station. Yeah. Unfortunately, they sold the station and people were really pissed off. 
but they sold to a company in Seattle, Washington, so they moved the signal to Seattle. Hmm. And so uh, Q104 just went away, and the guy went into politics. So then I, you know, I was kind of bummed out. And you still worked there at that point, and they're like, "Hey, we're done." Yeah, they yeah. pretty much, we're, you know, they shut my show down. Yeah, they just, you know, we're done with you. Sorry, man. Yeah, because we're going to sell the station. Um, plus, again, the guy was very conservative and whatnot. Did they and pay you to do the show? No. What I, the way it works is, this is how radio, in my part, works. I have a production company, Pondo Production Studios LLC. Uh-huh. I produce radio shows, commercials. Festivals. Uh, if I want to take on a band like Happy and Home, and they screw that up. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> I was going to place with this old boy, but uh, we don't want to go into that story. <laughs> At least I saw a good future for them. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to make connections. I was starting to really, really get them going. The but. problem with bands is you've got all these different personalities. Exactly. Somebody gets their girlfriend pregnant, and exactly. somebody else goes to the military. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. things happen. So later on, after I quit the city, uh, went to California for a little bit, didn't work out, come back. And so I got a job over at uh, Orchard View Farms. Okay. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to really, really get to know the, the culture. I'm going to go work for them. So Maggie says, well, then go work at Orchard View Farms. Okay, so I got a job there. And Antonio Valdovino, we were talking one day, and he, he remembered the days of the radio and this and that because he was part of my group back then, Q104. I said, you know what, let's, let's do it again. Let's go back. So I went and talked to KCI. And uh, they said, yeah, beautiful, come on, man. We'd love to have you, man. Yeah, we, we remember you back Q104. You had a hell of an audience. So they know we could, they can sell lots of airtime on yeah. me. So the way it works is I go get my own sponsors to pay for that two-hour time frame. Ah. And I split it with the station 50-50. Okay. You know, which is fair. Cause they have the they have what I need, sure, and I got the money. Uh-huh. So that's how I make my money is by so many sponsors, I get so many dollars. You know. So did you have to like plug them at the top of the show? Yeah, the 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 way it works. In fact, I'm working on that right now. We'll go into that a little bit later. Um, I would sell them those fees, like you know, you get mentioned at the beginning of the show, at the end, and then uh, we do a commercial for you, mm-hmm. a full blown commercial. And if you want to come into the, the studio, be live with us, talk about your, your you know, your business and a little more detail, we can do that too. Mm-hmm. So I was charging like 200 bucks a month. Nice. You know, and I had like eight, nine sponsors. You know, and that was fine with that. Mm-hmm. I could have made more, but then, man, I'm going to fill up my whole damn two hours with sponsors, <laughs> yeah, you know. Right. And then I told KACI that they could also put, you know, they could put some of their commercials in too. Uh-huh. But they start selling way too much. I thought, whoa, 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 wait a minute, you know. Were they splitting that with you? No, that is theirs. Ah. Yeah, that is theirs. That's part of like, you know, uh, because radio time is so expensive that I, I didn't mind doing that because I, if I was paying for the time myself, you'd probably talk about three, 4000 bucks for two hours. Yeah. You know. So they were nice enough to at least let me come on with no sponsors and build them. Yeah. So... Every, you see, the Dallas try to put on what they call Third Fridays. you remember those? Kind of like uh, Hood River's First Fridays? Uh, Where every third Friday would have like a big downtown, the business would have sales, and they would have little parties and whatnot. This is in the summer, right? In the summertime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the Dallas called those Third Fridays and, my, and Hood River's uh, First Fridays. Uh-huh. So I told Antonio, I tell you what, man, let's do a block party every third Friday. 
Because KACI used to sit at the corner of Washington and 4th Street. Okay. And it was upstairs. They had that big window. Uh-huh. They used to call it Casey Corner. So every third Friday, I'd say, hey, man, this this coming Friday, we're going to have a band out there, or, or we're going to be broadcasting live on the street, and have food and whatnot. We couldn't have beer because we didn't have a beer license. Didn't want to mess with beer because they were showing up drunk anyway. <laughs> we, we didn't want that <laughs> yeah. headache, you know. Yeah. So I closed off the street right down to the Civic Auditorium, uh-huh. and then right there, Casey Corner. Yeah. And that place looked like a New Year's Eve. I mean, it was packed. Mm-hmm. Wall-to-wall people. And I was the envy of the town. Man, how do you do it, man? Well, I'm throwing a party for them. We have, I used to send Natalie downstairs with a, with a uh, microphone. Uh-huh. And she would walk around. I would break off the air. Hey, let's talk to Natalie. What's going on down there, Natalie? And she'd be talking to people. Hey, you know, shout out. And then people just trying to follow that microphone, you know. Mm-hmm. And her, she's a beautiful lady. Of course, they're following probably more her than the microphone. But mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, I used to just put on some hellacious parties down mm-hmm. there. And I was, man, I hated when, when Casey decided to move over into the OQ 104 studios. I said, oh, man, this is going really well up here. Yeah. It's doing real good, you know. So I was on with Casey for almost two years. And then uh, things started not working out too well. I started getting busy with family and my job. And it started becoming a, a headache, you know. Yeah, because I mean, it was it was kind of a hobby at that point, right? Yeah, it yeah. wasn't a full time thing, right? And then it started to become a, a a job that was like way too much. Yeah, so I pulled out, and they didn't want me to go. In fact, they wanted me to, to put on more hours. So no, man, you know, I, I got a real job that pays. Yeah. That's, that's my bread and butter. This is just a side thing that I'm I'm doing for the Hispanic community to to bring them up, give them some a yeah. voice, and empower them. Yeah. So. I was known for downtown the Dells. When I was a kid, there was a station back in San Antonio where the guy was right downtown San Antonio, and he was always saying, you're on, what was it, uh, what was it? oh, K, uh, KTSA. You're on KTSA on John Buke's show, downtown the Dells. I mean, downtown San Antonio. And it always stuck to me. Of, I like that phrase, downtown San Antonio. Mm-hmm. So I would do that. Estás escuchando la onda latina, no, la nueva onda latina, downtown the Dells. And it, that just took off like wildfire. <laughs> Everywhere I went, there's a downtown the Dells guy, <laughs> downtown the Dells guy, you know. Uh, and uh, so that's what I'm known for in radio. Uh-huh. So when I uh, shut the show down, I went back to work. Well, Shannon Milburn, who used to work for Q104. Okay. And when Q104 left, he went to work for Haystack Broadcasting, which is Y102, Star FM, and KLCK back then. just three stations. And they're a high-definition radio, which means it's like high-definition TV. Mm-hmm. It's the signal is more clear, uh, uh, stronger, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, it doesn't cover huge like it does FM and AM. It has, I think they can hear us almost to... To just pass Rowena up to maybe Mosier and then close to Click at that, Dufer, and I think close to Arlington. That's the coverage. It's a that. different it's a different frequency. It doesn't broadcast on FM or oh, it, AM. It, it broadcasts on FM. It just because it's, it's high def, it right, doesn't right. spread as far. And they can't put repeaters on those. Okay. Like the others. So I mean, is the quality that much better? To, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot better. Huh. And uh so Shannon, he bought the station because the guy wanted to retire. So he bought 
the station Haystack Broadcasting, and he uh, named it now, <coughs> calls it uh, Columbia, I think it's Columbia Gorge Broadcasting, something like that. And he called me up one day, he sent me an email, hey, Eloy, call me, I have a project for you. Okay. So I call him up, what's up? He says, uh, we moved Star FM to another signal, because Star FM used to be on 103.1. Mm-hmm. This is the FCC came and moved everything around, so they made us put Star FM on another signal. So now 103.1 FM is dead. It's not. It's, it's open. So I'm buying into a Spanish station. I said, "Whoa, really? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring a Spanish station in. I need you." I said, "What are you calling me for? I'm Italian." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I I go down there and I'm all excited. Wow, man, that's really cool, you know? Because he and I talked about, you know bringing the Spanish station in yeah. in the past. And uh, friends of his have always telling me, you know, you, sh- you need to bring one in. That, that signal, put a Spanish station in there. Well, a guy from, I think Eugene, a friend of his, he told him that, uh, like a buena was looking for, for markets. Like a buena is was Univision, okay. the biggest network in the Spanish-speaking language. And so he talked him into buying into like a buena. So... He, uh, I, I go in there, so who are you bringing in? Uh, I'm bringing in uh, uh, um, so, so, so station that uh, Univision carries. I said, oh, my God, you're bringing a Que Buena here? He goes, yeah, why? Man, that's a huge station. And those people, they're kind of difficult to work with. They, they try to take you over. Yeah. You know? So have you closed the deal? Oh, yeah, we already made. Oh, man. Wow. Besides, I think that station is a little too progressive for this area. Yeah. You know, they talk about stuff that's pretty ranked. It's, it's borderline rank, but, you know, stuff that, you know, the Mexicans around here, they're more conservative. They're more trying to get away from that bullshit. Yeah. Well, I already did it, man. So, okay, well. Well, when you bring this in? Oh, probably about two, three months. What? Two, three months? Yeah, why? Oh, well, what's the plan? Well, you're the plan. Me? <laughs> it's your job. You figured out. Yeah. So you uh, you don't have a plan on how to sell this to the to these rednecks? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, well, that's where you come in. I say, oh man, Shannon, I thought you were you were talking like maybe in a year bring it in so we can sit down and, and get a plan of attack. How are we going to sell this to the businesses? How are we yeah. going to wine and dine them? And, and I said, man, it's going to be hard to sell these rednecks around here, man. So you can do it. Well, I says, I'll try. Another thing, man, come on. Jesus Christ, man, I'm in my 50s. I'm thinking more retirement. You know, yeah. you should have done this when I was in my 30s maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. And But, you know, hey, buddy, you know, we've been friends for years. I'll I'll give it all I can, all I got. We dove in, went out, started selling the, the station, and I picked up some sponsors, mostly uh, Mexican businesses. But unfortunately, they were not, quite too open to work with the station even though it was a killer station killer uh, as far as a uh, station mm-hmm. best shows and all the newest music and, and their talk shows are just really like listening to a soap opera yeah they love that and so when they found out that it was owned by a gringo americano they call you guys they don't call you <laughs> it's called either gringos or americanos and they go so who owns the station? Oh, Shannon Melbourne. Oh, so an Americano owns it. Yeah. Well, how do you fit in? Well, we've been in radio since 99, and I'm going to help build the station. Oh, okay. 
So even they started, you know, being a little not ra- well. I don't want to say racist, but themselves like mm, I don't know. I want to do business with this guy. Yeah. The uh, contract was already signed, though, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Well, you're, you're, I'm sorry, man. You're here for you know whatever we said, six months. I sold it. For. Yeah. We tried to get a year, and. It was hard, even for Shannon. Shannon was like shocked. He said, "Wow, you know, I thought people would be beating the door down to come in here, you know, meaning the, the white community." Yeah. And I said, "Well, Shannon, I says, yeah, I think you've lived too long of a sheltered life." Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, I didn't say I'm thinking this to myself. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to hurt his feelings or anything, but but I said, "Man, I understand what you're saying because number one, you are the only." 100% Spanish, 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week commercial radio station mm-hmm. that you have 100% listening audience. I mean, there's Radio Tierra, but Radio Tierra is a public broadcast station, and they're very limited to what they can do, and people don't understand that station because Mexicans don't understand the concept of public broadcasting, the ones in that area. Why not? Because public broadcasting is like, you know, what do you mean? Why do they have so many different shows? English, Spanish, and, you know, German, French. Is, well, it's public broadcasting. Those are, those are low-power signals that the uh, FCC opened up for communities so they can have a voice because radio has been sucked up by corporates that it's hard to get a local show mm-hmm. on regular radio. And they have bazillions of dollars. Yeah. So they created these low-power stations, 100 watts. But... They are very limited as to what they can do and say. Just like PBS, you do a commercial, you can't say you're the best. Come see us, Big Hill coming on. You can't do that. You can only mention the name of the business, their address, their contact information, and their services, and that's it. But they can't say Big Hill going on in Joe Blue's Tire Store. Or, Come see us, we are the best. You, they can't do that because the FCC won't allow it. Yes, because of the of the. Of it being a public broadcast station, that is the rules that the FCC pulled out for uh, public broadcasting. See, everybody has everybody has rules that you have to follow, yeah. laws that you have to follow. Uh, you what know? if you don't? They just shut you down? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They shut you, and they'll fine you. <laughs> and they'll fine you, yeah. Yeah. Well, 100 watts, that that can go like a block if you're talking no. about 100,000 watts for Q104. No, no. 100 watts, is, it's amazing how it works. It's uh, the antenna... Uh, for Radio Tierra is up on uh, the hospital in Hood River, but they have um, they have now repeaters. They have one in Stevenson, Washington. They have one in in uh, Odell, one in the Dells, and they have another one. So they have like five repeaters. So they cover the entire gorge. You can be heard in the gorge everywhere, but mm-hmm. it, yeah, but you can't be heard past. Where that antenna is at. Mm-hmm. So yeah, people say 100 watts, man. There's lights that have, you know, power more than 100. <laughs> I know. But it's just the way the, the the signals are set up and how they bounce off of each other, and uh, uh, so you have to create a network. But you also have to put it in a different frequency, which mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, owned by a a second person, not by the station itself. Gotcha. Like. The main, the main frequency is 95.1 FM. The Dallas is 107.9, and they all have their own frequency. Yeah, yeah, so you have yeah. to say, hey, you know, when you're down in Stevenson, tune in about it. But again, because of the the format is so all over the place, you know, and the DJs are not professional. They're just local people, you know, trying to be DJs. And, yeah. 
they're basically playing what they like and uh -huh. what their friends like. So, and I used to, one guy, I don't want to mention his name, but he was, oh, man, I got a killer show, man. I got a lot of phone calls. Says, How many of those phone calls are friends? What are you talking about? Well, how many of those phone calls are friends? Well, yeah, all my friends listen to me. They, you know, we don't have a killer radio show. <laughs> he goes, what are you talking about? Man, I get about 30 calls. Well, you got 30 friends. Yeah. <laughs> See, the way you know you have a killer show is when you get phone calls of people you don't even know. Yeah, yeah. You don't know. That's when you know you have a killer show. Yeah. And besides, you're playing. I hear your show. Man. I, I, I turn into all these shows just to see what's going on out there. Mm -hmm. Your show sucks. <laughs> you know? Says, but I'm telling you from a professional point of view. I'm not yeah. telling you as a, as a, you know, that I'm jealous of your whatever. Good for you. You got your own radio show. More power to you. Mm -hmm. But if but you're not making money off it because they don't allow you to make money either. You know, which well, yeah. is well, they they can do it, but they don't really know how to, how a show how a station operates because it's just being run by local people local boards that don't really know SEC rules and I tried to educate them but they're like huh? huh well it became more difficult after the internet right oh yeah I mean ra radio still exists but mm -hmm. it's far easier to do what you want to and potentially make money if you do it on the internet yeah 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 well the thing about as far as that goes, there's there's pros and cons, but you're right. Podcasting like you have is heard all over the world. Mm -hmm. When I had my website in karaoke, Oregon karaoke, I had a podcast, and mm -hmm. I, I used to get listeners from all over the world. Mm -hmm. But in the small markets such as the Dells or Hood River or all that, when it comes to the Mexican community, because they're all hardworking people, some very educated, some low education, mm -hmm. radio to them is still like turning on the TV. Yeah. You know? But they also want, they don't just want to, to hear music. They want to hear news, what's going on in their community, what's happening out there. And that's what Shannon and I are going to try and build at the station now that I'm with college. That's my goal is to, I'm going to be teaching a, a, a class up there. I'm a professor now. Whoa. <laughs> what are you teaching? Radio broadcasting ah. and also podcasting. All right. So uh, That's cool. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we'll be moving in next month and I we hope to be up and running by September. Columbia Gorge Community College? Uh-huh. Yeah. Right yeah made a deal with them, and they love it. So I'm going to be promoting the college, doing events up there, and teaching a class. Nice. And my goal with that is to recruit local people, teach them how to be on radio, how to do the production end of it. That's what I do, production work. And then if they have a show, we'll help them develop it. We'll help them, you know, how to, how to put it together, how to go get sponsors. And then we will move them into 103.1 FM Radio Lazar, mm -hmm. which means laser. Mm -hmm. So that's where we hope to build a local station with what I'm doing at the college. Mm -hmm. And right now, because Radio Laser doesn't have a studio, everything is beamed into satellite from Oxnard, California. Nothing local. The only local show is me, but the only way to make it local or to be on the air is I have to pre-record it and then assign it a time slot and it comes on. Yeah. But we need live broadcasting because people want to call. Yeah. You know, hey, what's going on? Or I want to give a shout out or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. they, they want to call. And so radio with, with the Latin culture is still very important, mm -hmm. even in the big cities, even here in Portland. Yeah. Hell, there's what, four Spanish stations here, four or five in the Portland area. Yeah. And, and then Woodburn has a couple. Mm -hmm. And so that tells you how, how important radio is 
to the Mexican community. Yeah. It's still. Well, if you could uh, if you could do like an eight-hour show mm-hmm. five days a week, would you do that? Like do you like it that much? That you, would... you cannot. Yeah. Uh, that's nothing the FCC won't allow. Uh, I think it's still there. You're only allowed four hours. You can only be yourself, me, on four for four hours. Why? Uh, something to do with the equal uh, balancing out, giving everybody a, a chance to be on the radio to do huh. a show or whatever. It's just like you know, even if you own the station, you huh. can only be you can only have a four hour show. That's why if you ever notice or if you listen to radio, a show comes on from this time to time. This time it's only four hours long. Let's say it's a local huh. guy has his own show of whatever, you know. Even if you're Rush Limbaugh or I mean, until recently Howard Stern. That's a different different set of rules for them. Yeah. But I think they are also in the same boat. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. They're only four hours at a time. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, but do you enjoy that portion of it? Do you like oh. being on the air? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I love it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, you know, wow, you have everybody listening to you. But with me, it's not so much as liking to be on radio. With me, it's more, I started this show to empower the local Mexicans, mm-hmm. to get them respect, to for people to see them as not just service people or people who work in the orchards, but people that, that are also business people. I, I'm helping them start businesses or push them, hey, go talk to this guy or go to the college, man. And another thing I'm always, I was always preaching on my show was, Buy property. Buy land. <laughs> yeah. Buy property. It's good advice for anybody. Because number one is uh, you need one. Yeah. <laughs> you set roots. And now that you're paying taxes, you can tell the politician, oh, bullshit, you're going to listen to me, man. I pay your salary. Yeah. I pay taxes, you know. Yeah. You know. So, and another thing, of course, you know, if you are legal, register to vote. Uh-huh. So with what I'm doing right now, as part of my plan with my this my thing in college, is to, uh, we're going to be all over the place. You're going to hear we're we're going to be definitely out there. This this show is going to be the talk of the gorge. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you that because it was already the talk of the gorge when I went on the air the first time. I mean, I was like the envy of, of especially we don't want to say his name, but the local guy mm-hmm. that uh, has been there forever. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. Uh, he definitely, you know, was very envious of me. Mm-hmm. And there were several people who tried to take me down. A lot of people tried to take yeah. me down. They were, because, they, well, this guy is, man, everybody's, all the white people are talking about him. They're saying all the nice things about him, you know. They like him. Oh, he's going to take my business away. No, I'm not going to take your business away from you, you know. I, I'll work with you. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm trying to bridge that gap, you know. They just didn't appreciate that you're outspoken and you do what you want to do? Yeah, they didn't appreciate the fact that, flat on with you, yeah. that I was Mexican. Yeah. And I had clout. Yeah, and I, I knew the rules. I knew the laws. I was educated. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was like, like them. Yeah. But then again, I would say, dude, I'm not Mexican. I'm American. I'm born and raised in this yeah. country. Yeah. My family goes back generations. Yeah. In this country. Uh-huh. Uh Mexican of roots, yes, but I am Mexican and Spaniard. Yeah. Both my grandmothers were Mexican, Indians. 
both my grandfathers were Spaniards from the old country, from Spain. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm, I'm on both sides. Well, the, the, the idea that it matters which parcel of land you're born in, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's stupid. It doesn't matter. My grandfather used to put it this way. And, I, and, and when I get into some discussions with, uh, with some of the guys, some of the white people in, in the early days, you know, they would talk about, you know, the culture and whatnot. And I said, well, you know, my grandfather, being that he was a, a person of God, he was called the man of the cloth, he, also, he asked me one day, it's mijo, how many races are there? I said, oh, God, Grandpa, man, you're asking me a question that, you know, I don't think even a scholar could answer. I said, no. Tell me, how many do you think there are? Said, a million? I said, no. It's only one race. Mm-hmm. Really? It's called la raza humana, the human race. Mm-hmm. It's where those names come from, I don't know. Maybe it was when, the, when, when, when God zapped the Tower of Babel and, and got pissed off at them and created languages so they couldn't communicate because, of course, the Tower, you know why they call it Tower of Babel, right? Mm-hmm. Tower of Babel was, uh, if I remember right, the story, there was only one race. And people wanted to find out where God lived. So they started building this tower. And they were trying to get to God's house, heaven. By building this tower, and God got upset about that. You know, you you can't come into my house. Mm-hmm. So He zapped them and created multiple languages so they could not communicate with each other uh, to yeah. keep building that tower. Yeah, supposedly that's where where races were born or different different races were born. I mean, that's a story that I've been told for. Since I was knee high to a toadstool, or as they say down south, and Jesus Christ was a corporal. <laughs> it's a it's a good story, but really, when you think about it, it mm-hmm. just means somebody spent more time in the sun. Really, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Europeans, it's a lot cloudier mm-hmm. and overcast, so mm-hmm. they're not getting as much of the sunlight. And yeah. down in Africa, you're in the sunlight all day. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, it's varying levels of sunlight hitting your skin. And that turns, and then you develop different languages. But right. that then that turns into everybody hates everybody. It's so, yeah. it's crazy. But it's yeah, that that you know I love history, and that was one. When I was told that story, that stayed in my mind. That I, man, I wish I could figure out how were races born. You know how, mm-hmm. how how is humanity? You know how. Of course, you have the uh, talk about oh yeah, we're monkeys or we're you know. You know this, Back in the caveman days and whatnot, and and then you have the the people of, of Christians who were talking about no, you know, God created us, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So man, it's that can get confusing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of stories, and mm-hmm. it's it's hard to prove a lot of things that yeah. uh, happened so long ago. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, there's no reason to get mad at right. at your friend in the Dalles because he's got a successful right. radio show. <laughs> Really? Well, you know, I, I've always said this to everybody. He says, you know, when they look at me, like, man, you talk to everybody. You, you, you know, a lot of people. You know, a lot of people. Well, it's, we're humans, you know. Mm-hmm. If I don't like the guy, it's because he's an asshole, not because he's white, pink, purple, or blue. You know, yeah. or if I don't like, uh, or you know, it, it goes by how you were treated. You treat people the way you would love to be treated. Yeah. And most of the time, you get a good response. Yeah. But as far as uh, racism goes, that has never been. And my family that I know of, probably because of grandpa's teaching, and then us also 
growing up in a mixed culture, mixed race, San Antonio grew up in the best place in the world as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Because San Antonio being that it's a military town, has lots of Air Force bases, we have people from all walks of life there. I mean, just because of the military bases. Yeah. You know, and the school I went to, Southwest High School, uh, that was very interracially mixed. We had British people in there, French people, German, uh, Africans, Mexicans, mm -hmm. because they their parents were in the military. So they went to Southwest High School. Yeah. And, uh, but back into radio, I do want to say this about radio, how I got into it and what got me and kept me there. I got into radio when I was 16 years old. And the way I got into it is way back then, there was a station that opened up called KMAC Radio, KMAC Radio. It was an AM station. And people... The other radio stations did not like them because the other stations play traditional pop rock, you know, your station, uh, Motown, all that stuff. Well, these guys were bringing in what they called back then hard rock, like uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Blue Oyster Cult, uh, uh, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. what, what is now known as classic rock. Yeah. And I love that because my generation, they call my music classic rock, not <laughs> oldies. <laughs> so anyway, KMAC Radio was playing all the underground music that was being played back then. And one day, out of the blue, they decided to put on a contest on Creators A Radio, because they were trying to build a station. You know, Creators A Radio Show. And the winner will get a half hour on, his, on our station. So... This guy used to own a record shop, also a head, head shop back then. And uh, we used to love to go to this place. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, I, anyway, it was a small shop that sold, you know, records. And when I was in there, they said, man, I was like, you know, like 16 years old. Well, I started going there when I was about 14. And I said, man, I'd never heard of this band, but it's a cool band. And, and who is this band? Oh, yeah, those guys are from Austin. Said, oh, they're from Texas? Yeah, and those guys are from here in San Antonio. Really? Well, I, you know, me seeing a record, I thought it belonged to a big, huge corporation. Yeah. I didn't know that people used to, just like, no, mm -hmm. they record all this stuff. So, so all this stuff is recorded, like, they do their own record. Well, yeah, they have little basement studios, they, you know, they have the eight track and all that stuff, you know. Really? You can make your own record? It just blew my mind, you mm -hmm. know. So these guys, like, I can call them up? Oh, yeah, I can call them up. <laughs> You know, I can't call Ozzy Osbourne. Hey, dude, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, really, and I was just fascinated by that. So, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to enter that contest. I said, what contest? You mean the one that came back? I said, yeah. I'm going to start my own show. I got to find a name for it. Ah, homegrown music. Because this is all homegrown stuff. Yeah. So I called it the Homegrown Music Show. So he said, you know, I like that. So I'll help you. I got a little recording studio out back. Nice. So we sat down and we recorded a show. Ah, oh, we got this band so-and-so from Austin, Texas, man. See what you guys think about it. I throw it on and walk to the homegrown show, blah, blah, blah. And so I turned it in. And guess what? I won the contest. Nice. I won the contest. So, I mean, the station was just blown away with that. Yeah. Is that, you know. And so I went in there, and I was nervous as hell. Cause, oh my god, I'm on radio now. The whole fucking city listening, you know. Yeah. Shit, you know, it's like about shit in my underwear, you know. <laughs> so, and my buddy from from the store, his son, he goes, "Don't worry, man. I'll, I'll help you." Okay, I feel better now. I got somebody to talk to, like you and I are talking to. Yeah. 
So I'll tell you what, uh, I'll do the intros and you, you introduce the band and then I'll, I'll throw the song on. So they went back and forth and man, that show just like wildfire. You were 16 years old. 16 years old. And the station was just getting bombarded by phone calls of listeners and bands. How do I get my music on your station, man? I'll call you, Lloyd, you know, call his mom and dad because he's 16 years old. You can't really <laughs> deal with him, you know? Yeah. You got to talk to his dad first. <laughs> you got to die first, you know? So the station, they pulled me aside and said, son, you know, oh, that's another thing I had to do. I had to have my mom and dad sign the the, intro, the, uh, the thing for this. The, yeah, because you were a minor. Exactly. Yeah. You know? I said, son, uh, we want to talk to your mom and dad. What about, <laughs> you know? Uh, we want to buy your show because you own the rights to it. <laughs> what? And I'm like, how many shows had you done? Uh, I had done like, uh, like, I think it was something. Let's see, it was a one one a week. I was on for three months. Three months, and they wanted to buy it. Yeah. Wow. I was blown away. But then, you know, back then I didn't know. But now that I you know, now that I know what was happening, oh, I, well, this was going through their head. Yeah. I wish I'd have been a little older and smarter back then to sell it for a million dollars. But yeah. uh, I said. You want to buy my show? I can sell it to you. He says, "Well, we have to because you own the rights. You know, you you, this, you got the paperwork right there. You know, it's, it's your show." Oh, okay. So I call my mom and dad. You know, mom, dad, station wants to talk to you. My mom, oh, cabron, no quiero hablar. My dad, oh, shut up, just give me a beer. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, because I just said they want to talk to you. Yeah. And my dad. Ah, no, go get me a beer, you know. And my mom, no, catching up, my car, she's going on and on. Says, no, mom, dad, they want to buy the show. My dad, what? They want to buy the show from me. And my dad, okay, now we're talking. (laughs) 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 They want to buy your show? Because mom and dad were not too active in what I was doing. I was, you know, because I was the youngest of the family and I was just kind of doing my own thing. And they they were sick of raising my brother and sister (laughs) who were like seven and eight years older than I was. Okay, let's talk to them. So we made a meeting, went downtown and we show up and my dad looking around like he's on this, in this. Mexican suit and everything, cowboy hat, and you know, just dressed like a, a worker, you know. Mm-hmm. And my mom still has her apron on. <laughs> and the guys looked at us like, hmm, hmm. Like, thinking now, they were saying, we're not talking to very smart people, so we're going to probably get this for pennies. Uh, and that's why I say, I hope, I wish that we were a little bit more mainstream back then, but my dad was a hardworking guy, and my mom was a stay at home mom, raised. Two aliens. Yeah. I was the angel of the house. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> my brother, oh my God, he was. Oh. My sister, she was just dumb. <laughs> anyway, uh, so they sit down. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Pondo, we want to buy your son's show. And um, um, how much do you guys want for the show? And uh, well, they wanted us to open up it. And my dad says, I don't even know what the hell it's worth. Said, he well, said that? My dad. Yeah. Because I don't even know what the hell is worth. I don't even know what we're doing here other than we're shelling whatever he's the hell he's doing. And my dad was this, this is deep Mexican because he, he spoke more Spanish than, than English mm-hmm. because he was raised in Mexico. Yeah. And uh, so he said, well, how does $1,000 sound to you? And my mom, a thousand bucks back then was like. Uh, uh, That's a lot of money back then. Yes. Yeah. And the guy that I was, you know, thinking about today, I was shocked that they even opened up with a thousand bucks. I yeah. thought maybe a couple hundred bucks, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, 
and my dad, did he say $1,000? Did he say $1,000? <laughs> my mom said, because my mom was, she was born and raised here, so she did go to high school, so she spoke better English, you know. Yeah. Yes, the señor dijo, dijo mil dólares, you know. Wow, that means this is thousand dollars. He says, "Okay, what do we sign?" <laughs> <laughs> and what did you think? How, you, I, I was like, you know, how much is this am I going to get? You know, yeah, they're like nothing. <laughs> how much is this am I going to get? You know, and so they signed it and they wrote him a check for a thousand bucks. We took off, and that was like when we were when we were going home. Mom, how much am I going to get? <laughs> Oh, cabron, you lucky you let you stay home. <laughs> <laughs> you lucky you live in our house. <laughs> you know? And so I just think, like, oh, man, I think they gave me like 25 bucks. <laughs> which, oh, which wow. you know, which, you know, I, I myself, just because I come from a very, very poor family. Uh, boy, that's a story in itself. Um, I didn't mind doing it. Because I knew that you know, dad and mom were hardworking people. Mm-hmm. My they they both worked for penis probably you know back then, and the money was going to go to <clears throat> help raise the family yeah. and to help build the house that we were that we were trying to to keep building. Because that house was man, that, that was uh, wow. Is it rough? Well, long story short, we we went to Michigan and Illinois to pick strawberries and cherries that a friend of my dad kind of suckered him into doing. Cause he said, oh, you can make lots of money as a migrant, you know, because he used to uh, get a group of people and he was like the, the leader and he would take them up there to pick. He told them about all this money you can make, you know. And we weren't pickers, we didn't know shit about <laughs> yeah. working the fields, you know. But we went. So my mom didn't want to go, but she said, I'll go under one condition. I'm tired of renting goddamn houses. I want to build a house, I want to buy a house. So my dad's cousin told her that there was these lots being sold out uh, towards Lytle, Texas, just outside of San Antonio. And the way it would work, the guy would sell like a quarter of an acre, mm-hmm. but you had to go there and clear the part out where the house was going to sit. And he would build you a four-room house, just four rooms, nothing else. What was out there, trees and rocks and stuff? We had to clear the, the, the for the foundation. Uh-huh. So we had to go out there on the weekends and literally just clear out the spot where they're going to put the house. Huh. And they would build a little four-room box, that four rooms in it, uh-huh. Cedar Post Foundation. And then no running water, no electricity, nothing. You had to have no, no storage. So we had to have an outhouse uh-huh. for the bathroom. Uh-huh. We had to go into Lytle, Texas, Texas and bring in barrels of water to drink out of. Two 55-gallon barrels that were like a nickel a barrel. And for electricity, in the beginning, we were just using lanterns. And for cooking, they had a wood stove. Yeah. You know, outside. Yeah. <laughs> we were afraid to burn the house down. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a wooden house, you know? Yeah. And as time went by, the uh, the developer started, he, first thing he brought in was electricity, electricity and telephone because mm-hmm. it was right there. Mm-hmm. So we finally got electricity after about living there for Three months without. Mm-hmm. And then the water, later on, a company, uh, Tascosa Water District, ran a water line. That's like two years, three years after living there. Mm-hmm. We ran water. Now we have running water. And sewer, we built a professional septic tank. But yeah, I remember as a kid still having to go outside and under the mesquite tree and put a makeshift little curtain deal and take a sh- 
take a bath, take a shower, <laughs> a little bale of water and scooping it, throwing it on myself. Yeah. But I'm thinking, my God, I'm thinking, Mom, Dad, this is the 70s. We were living like cave people. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how we bought the house. Yeah. And as, as time went by, my dad started building it. And my, me with me, my dad and my uncle, we started building onto it and adding to it, making it bigger. And my mom always wanted a two-story house, and my dad made it a two-story house. Wow. Um, and Did he uh, know anything about carpentry? Me? You or him or anybody? or did you Well, my just... dad was jack of all trades. Yeah. He knew a little bit of everything. Uh-huh. And my uncle was more of a carpenter. But my dad, he was just a jack of all trades. He knew everything. And that's pretty much where I got all of my my savvy of everything. I can, that's why at Full Sail, I'm a general maintenance there. I do plumbing. I do electrical. I do landscaping. I do everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but after building that house and getting it all going— you know, I went to Southwest High School. That's where I went to school at. Uh, had a school bus would pick us up in front of the house. And, um, is the house still there? Yes, it is. Yeah? But that's, you... a, that's, that's a sore story with me. Yeah. What happened was uh, my dumbass brother. When, when my mom passed away, uh-huh. she left me in charge. She made the will out, and I was the executor. And the house, she said... Either one of your kids can buy the house or sell it and divide the money amongst each other. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when my mom passed away, the estate was in debt to me for like, uh, I think it was like 15000 bucks. Mm-hmm. That money I had put into the house to keep it up to be able to sell it. But unfortunately, I didn't really have a contract with my mom. With my mom, you know, I, mom signed a contract, you know, yeah. just a rubble between, between her and I. But my brothers and sisters, uh, being the greedy people that they are, uh, my sister got pissed off. Said, "Okay, we're going to sell the house, or either one of you can buy it. Pay us off." And he says, "Well, how much of a discount?" Says, "No discount. You buy it at full price because you're going to be reaping from the house. It's going to go up in value. Mm-hmm. So there's no discount." Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to do that. Long story short, got into a big old mess and fight with them. And I said, "You know what? Fuck it. Mm-hmm. I'm going home." I called the attorney. Put this house in probate. Lock it in probate. I took off. What does probate mean? Probate, basically, they put the house in lock that nobody can do a damn thing without talking to me. Mm. And they, was anybody living there at that point? My sister. Oh, she, she was forced her way in. Uh, she, you know, well, basically, I, I, I shouldn't say she forced her way in. I said, somebody needs to live here. Yeah. So my youngest sister, who was actually my brother's daughter, but we adopted her. Mm-hmm. Uh, was living there, and then my older sister, I told her, you guys move into the house till we can, you know, figure out what to do. Yeah. But they just trashed it. They tore it up. I mean, they just literally trashed it. Yeah. So I went back to Oregon and said, fuck it, you know. Someday they're going to have to call me. Yeah. Sure enough, it happened. All of a sudden, I get this phone call. Well, my brother was flying back and forth, started fixing it up, you know, without telling anybody. And finally, he did tell me, you know, that he was working on the house. He was going to fix it up. And he started paying the taxes on it. And so I get a phone call from my sister. Hello. Uh, David called me, and he wanted me to call you. You know, he fixed up the house, and he wants to move into it. And he's been paying taxes, and he wants us to sign off on the house. That's it. Now you know how probate works. (laughs) 
You guys thought that you could just fucking do it without me. Yeah. No, I'm the executor. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge of that damn will. Yeah. So he says, well, I'm going to go ahead and sign off my part because I don't want to be a, a, a landowner anymore. And, and Melissa, which is the youngest, she's going to sign off her part. So he just wants to know if you'll sign off his part. So I so said, I'll tell you what. You loan your brother your ovaries and have him call me himself. Why is he having his big sister, big sissy call me? Mm -hmm. Doesn't he have enough balls to call me himself? Mm -hmm. Or the dignity or the you know, respect? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So he called up. Hey, Eloy, how you doing? Said, I'm doing fantastic, man. How you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good. Well, you know, I have this attorney, and uh, I've been paying the taxes, and I fixed up the house, and... Uh, I want to know if you will sign off because if you don't, we're going to have to sue you to to get your part, and it'll be cheaper if you just sign off. And I said, well, why do you want the house? Well, I want to live in it, and I want to be able to, to leave something for, for my kids. I just thought to myself, why don't you buy your own fucking house and <laughs> not steal the family's house? Yeah. So I said, well, you know, David, this is... There's a lot. There's a there's a long story with that house that you don't know about. But just because you said you're going to leave it to one of your sons, uh -huh. I'll go ahead and sign off. Yeah. But you know that your attorney cannot sue me. Well, he said it was no. Because I can show up down there with a will and say fuck it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> can't sue me. Yeah. You have to buy the goddamn house from all of us. But mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. So I said. So I'll tell you what. I told you, number one, that this day was going to happen. That's why I put the house in probate. And I look at you guys are like, oh, please, please talk to me, little brother. I thought I was a stupid one in the family just because I was seven years younger. I mean, yeah, younger than you guys. Yeah. You know? That's why mom put me in charge. Mm -hmm. She said I'm the one that had a, a brain like her. <laughs> I had to slam him, you know. Well, well are you going to sign off? Yes, David. I'm going to tell your attorney to send me the paperwork. But the fact that you're leaving it in the family, giving it to your sons, I love my my nephews. Yeah. You know, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So he did. But guess what happened? That asshole sold it. What? But I have a plan. <laughs> oh, this is still happening? No, no. It's the house it's the house been sold. It's been sold. But just to clear so, things, I'm flying down to this uh, uh this summer and have a little chit chat with him. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's there's such... nothing I can do about it. I mean, I can't sue him or nothing. It's a, it's a done deal. But it pissed me off that he did the opposite of what he told me he was going to do. Yeah, it's such a bummer that you can be related to somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you guys didn't have a great relationship or whatever. But like, mm -hmm. if your mom was alive, she'd probably be pretty upset with everything that happened, right? That's yeah. not that's not what the parent expects to yeah. go down after they pass. Yeah. So that sucks. But you know, it it happens. And with me, you know, I'm not a I'm not a materialistic kind of guy that that you know wants to or has to have everything just mine mm -hmm. and it better be mine. And you know, it's like my grandpa used to say, money comes and goes. You can't take it with you when you die. Yeah. You know, the house, yeah. whatever material material shit is just there. Well, know, it so seems don't, like don't get too attached to it and don't let it own you. Yeah. Well, it seems like you had more of like a sentimental attachment to it, right? That's if, what it was. If you're building onto it and, and adding that, a second story and, and all that that's kind of what stuff. I, that's, what, that's what I want to clear the air with him before yeah. he passed away. I just got to, you know. And, you know, some people say, oh, you talk about too much personal stuff. Well, it's not personal stuff. The way I see it, I just hope that my story will help somebody who hurt 
maybe is in the same situation I am. Yeah. By helping me, oh, well, you know what, this guy, I think uh, <laughs> I'm going to get my shit together and get things squared away with my family or whoever, friend yeah. or whatever, you know. Yeah. And that's why a lot of times I, I, I don't mind talking about my personal life because yeah. – you know, and that's just like I killed somebody. No. <laughs> <laughs> we won't bring that we up. We won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God that's never happened. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, and that's, that's, that was sad. Yeah. Uh, well, we're, we're getting close to the end, but I wanted to talk about, before we wrap it up, mm-hmm. about wrestling. Because <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing until you mentioned that. Oh, man, wrestling is huge down south. And a fr- uh, friend of mine was a wrestler, and he worked for Joe Blanchard, who had Southwest Championship Wrestling. Okay. Okay, uh, I'll try to make this story. I don't know how much time you have, but well, we got to get on with Nick in yeah. like twenty minutes. Okay, oh, that's enough time. Okay. Uh, so when I wasn't doing the music thing or DJing, I used to go to the wrestling matches every I think it was Saturday night at the Junction. Look it up, uh, Southwest Championship Wrestling. Huh. And so I said, man, this is cool. I want to do this. You know, I think I would want to do this. So uh, a friend of mine who was a wrestler. He said, well, let's do it, man. I said, you think I'm big enough? I said, you don't have to be big to be a wrestler, you know? Really? Man, look at me. I'm like 165, 170 pounds. You know, you guys are like 200 plus. So, mm-hmm. so I started working out and then started doing all the GNC stuff. You know, I didn't touch steroids. I was terrified of them. <laughs> but I did the, the GNC. Protein and, protein and whey powder. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, man, I got up to 210 pounds of muscle. And, you know, muscle is heavier and fat, mm-hmm. but it didn't look like I was 210, you know, mm-hmm. and so I started getting little opening acts for them. Mm-hmm. They, they would let me come in and, and do the opening act, and then over on Morrison Boulevard, there was a flea market who also did their own little wrestling show out there. In the mornings from, uh, I think, at noon to four, they would have wrestling matches way back at the flea market. And then after the matches, they would go to the front of the flea market where they had a big, huge dance thing set up. Okay. So I was working more with them. And so I started getting gigs because uh, people, you know, I started getting a good following because I was a, now you know where, you'll know where Cody gets his performance from. I was a ham, you know. Yeah. I just had to have people. I just, and I was always a bad guy. Always a bad guy. Yeah. They have the most fun. How old were you? I was uh, 21. 21? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so one thing led to another where buddy my hey, man, there's a match going on in Dallas. Oh, the the, uh, the Von Erich family had a place, uh, they were called World Class Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. They were working out in uh, Dallas, Texas. Hey, man, he's got some gigs up there, man. I can get you in. Really? With the Von Erich? Cool. Let's go. Hop in the car and go up to Dallas. And then, oh, man, over in, uh, in, in El Paso, you know, uh, Bruiser Brody is doing some matches up there. Let's go work with him. Oh, go to El Paso for a while. So I started working the circuit in Texas, and then it got further out, further out, further out. Hey, man, I heard that uh, over in Louisiana, man, they're, they're, they're hiring over there. Let's go get some gigs over there. Oh, let's go. So we go to Mid-South Sports. It's called Louisiana. So we went and got a few gigs there. But I was independent. Mm-hmm. I was offered a few contracts, but I, I didn't want to sign up. Because once you sign, it's like joining the <laughs> join the service. Well, yeah, then you're giving your profits away to somebody else. Well, not only that, but you have to do everything they tell you. Yeah. And then they might change your persona that you have worked so hard to build. They might call you something else. Yeah. Me, I was El Tejano, the Tex-Mex. 210 pounds of twist and steel. Woo! And sex appeal. <laughs> 
nice. ain't no man alive I can't beat. No woman I can't swoop off her feet. <laughs> when I put these guns around a man's neck, it's boom, boom, out goes the lights. Just say goodnight. <laughs> I don't want to go into the other w- Would you <laughs> intro yourself? Huh? Would you intro yourself for the, the competitions? Uh, no, they would intro me. Oh, they would intro But yeah. you wrote the copy for them? Yeah, that's, that's, those were my isms. Everybody had their own isms. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. talk shit, you know? Yeah. So once you're in the ring, you grab that microphone and, hey, bye, you know, that's when I would say, face yourself in 210 pounds of twist and steel, woo, and sex appeal. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to go into the other one because Maggie doesn't like that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I will go into, you know, ain't no man alive I can't beat, no woman I can't swoop off her feet. Yeah. When I put these guns around a man's neck, it's boom, boom, out goes the lights, just say goodnight. Mm-hmm. You know, it looked right at the crowd. Unfortunately, because I was independent, I was never on TV. Mm-hmm. You had to have a contract to put you on TV. Mm. So I was the intro matches before the TV show started. Ah. The warm-up matches, you know. Okay. Get people all fired up for the show. They didn't start the broadcast till after you no, were done. No, they did not. Yeah. And I would never be on the on the card. They wouldn't let you because I had no contract again. I was independent. That, you think that was a way to try to get you to sign? Yes. Yeah? Oh, yeah. They want to own you. Yeah. Especially when they know they're going to be man, this guy's damn good. We want to sign him and make some bucks off of him. Yeah. And so me, uh-uh, uh-uh. Give me my 50 bucks, I'm out of here. You know, yeah. shit. I'm <laughs> yeah. And uh, people would say, well, you only got 50 bucks? Well, where else can you make 50 bucks for 15 minutes worth of work? Yeah. And back then, 50 bucks was good money. Well, it, uh, wh- what was that like? Did you have to, to practice with them? Like how oh, yeah. you have to uh, choreograph your moves and everything, right? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. See, wrestling is like a dance. It has moves. It has Every move has a, 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 either a word or, or a phrase, and you're talking to each other the whole time. You're dancing. There's a lot of talk going on in the ring. Close line, boom, close line, you know, forearm, mm-hmm. boom, forearm, you know, drop kick, boom, drop kick. You're, you know, you're talking to each other. Gotcha. So you, and so you need to know how to dance that because if you don't, man, you can really, the worst enemy in the ring is yourself. Yeah. And so I would go practice at Southwest Championship and I was also practicing over at uh, Morrison Boulevard. Uh-huh. We'd all get together every every Wednesday at Morrison Boulevard and every Tuesday over at Southwest, and we start working with each other and conditioning yourself, getting your body used to the body slams, you know, yeah. getting catalysis built. Because you know, when they body slam, it's a body slam. People say, is it real? Yeah, it's real. Yeah. I mean, how can you fake a wham on yeah, the right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You have to condition your body. Uh-huh. So when I started doing it, I was so popular that I was starting to get gigs everywhere. They would call me, hey, man. Can you come to Stone Talk? Can you come? So one time what got me out of the wrestling, it was I did it for almost five years. And it was before Cody was born. Um, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I'm at Louisiana uh, for Mid-South Sports, and this old black guy sitting there looking at me. He says, boy, you good. They, you the talk of the ring, man. You are the talk of the circle around here. So, hmm. Which was, uh, he was Junkyard Dog's uh grandfather, mm-hmm. a guy called Junkyard Dog. Uh, he says, so who are you working for, boy? Says, well, nobody. I'm independent. Oh, shit. No wonder they talk that bad about you. <laughs> I said, who's talking? Well, there's a couple guys here that really don't like you, and you are in a dangerous world, boy. You better either sign a contract or get the hell out because you're going to get killed. I said, what are you talking about? I said, well, your name is out there. And when you go, they know you're independent. They don't know that you're here just to, to wrestle and, and go home. 
They think they after you, you after their job. They think they you want to take their job. But what, you, what would they be worried about if they had a contract? What they're worried about is that even though they have a contract, they can take their stardom and move them aside and put me in their slot uh, and put them on lower matches uh, and pay them less. Yeah. So, you know, it's just it's a, it's a jealousy thing. And, of course, it's protecting their job. Yeah. I said, ah, that makes sense. No wonder. Because there was times when I got into real fights. Because the guy was not working. I said, that makes sense. No wonder some of these sons of bitches don't work with me. Because mm-hmm. I called clothesline, boom! I didn't call that, man. Yeah. You know, well, he was trying to hurt me. So that's what's going on. They're trying to break something. They're trying to make you not want to come back. And one of your days, if you keep coming back the way you are, they're going to just kill you. Wow. I said, damn. Well, maybe I went a little bit too far, but they're going to hurt you where you're going to be in the hospital for a long time. Yeah. So I called Julie, Julie, I'm coming home. Fuck this shit. <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of that. Not only that, I mean, Nick was just a little guy. And, you know, I was a lot of time on the road. You know, I, I wasn't spending that much time with him. Well, and you said you were the bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. So were you always losing, but yeah. still getting paid? My, jo- my job was to make their guy look super good. Yeah. You know? But you still got paid and sometimes more than they did. No, I never got more than they did. Oh, okay. No. No, but my job was to make them look good. I would get close to winning. Yeah. But of course, you know, you, you've watched wrestling. You know, yeah. Right. Oh, he's going to get it. Oh, yeah. We didn't get it, you know. Well, that's what it is. They want the person to root for, but they also want to root against the bad guy. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why, that's what got me gigs is I was a damn good bad guy. <laughs> uh, but, and then the part I didn't like was, you know, when they said, oh man, gotta, gotta have blood, gotta have blood. Oh, fuck. And I hated that. You have to cut yourself. Oh, really? Yeah, you 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 either hide it in a piece of tape on your finger, or you wrap it, you put a you literally put a blade in there. And at some point, boom, they hit you. You put your head down. You go throw it away, and then the guy starts working it, and blood comes out. You know. Whoa! Yeah, you yeah. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, just look at some of these wrestlers. You said big, huge marks like that. That's from cutting it. Gory Guerrero. Wouldn't, wouldn't you just have scars all over the place after a while? I didn't. I didn't do blood matches very much. I did maybe two or three. Mm-hmm. I do have one where I oops went a little too deep. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere in here, I can't remember, but there's one in here that I went. Oh, right here, my eye. Yeah. I don't know if you can see a little like a little ball spot somewhere. Probably, huh. probably the old man eyebrow. You can't really see it. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little ball spot right there where I I went to go like this, and I'm oh, I didn't poke my eye out, but I slipped and went like that. If I were going any further, oh man. Oh, yeah. So I said, no more blood matches, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 I tell people, we have a saying down south. It was real and it was fun, but it really wasn't fun. Yeah. And I don't talk too much about my, in fact, I'm telling you more than I ever told anybody about what I'd done because I really, that part of my life was, was not that good. Yeah. It literally was not that good. I think that's what happens in yeah. your in your twenties and and thirties exactly. potentially, and, and then you you figure out that's not what I want to do, and right. you go a different direction. I did it here in in in, uh, in uh, Oregon just for fun, but this is the only mask I got left. And what what was your name with this persona? El Tejano. It was El Tejano. El Tejano. Yeah, text mask. And uh, what what is Lucha Libre then? Lucha Libre. Oh, and that's a whole different world. Lucha okay. Libre is hot. man. We're talking, you know. Um, Acrobats. 
Okay. Flying. These guys spend more time in the air than they do down in the ground. Okay. They are very acrobatic. I, they, they try to get me into Lucha Libre because of my size. Uh-huh. I went down to Laredo, Texas for one week, and I fucked that shit, man. The guy's like, whoa, whoa, I can't do that, man. I can't do that. Yeah. It was yeah. one guy that was so amazing. And those ropes, you know, they move a lot. He could literally run from one side of the ring to the other side of the ring over the rope and oh. not fall off. Whoa. How he did it, shit, I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, I hate to cut it down right now, but we got to get on the call here in a minute. Yep. So I'm glad you came out. It's been cool. Hey. Thank you. Love to be here. Yeah. Así es amigos y bienvenidos una vez más a la Onda Latina del Gorge Show aquí en tu estación favorita 103.1 Radio Lazar. Yo soy Eloy Pando, pero antes de empezar, vámonos con eso que dice así. Estás en la Onda Latina del Gorge Show, Downtown the Dells. Esta siguiente melodía es solamente para la gente que están aburridos. Yeah, let's go. 